Hey, do you guys want to see a picture of a dad in 1969? Oh, yeah, I do. Look at that. How do you get away with that? That's a dad? Yep. And those are his daughters? Yep. All of them? Left wearing a top? She's not. She's naked. It looks like I see a, like a blue boob. Yeah, I definitely see side boob in there. I've zoomed in on it real far. Is it a side boob? No, that's just... That that's her hand there. covering it up. I don't know about that. It looks blue. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's like a bra thing covering... Like a, it's like, I think she took her shirt off and used it as a brassiere to, to cover it up. That's a nice rug. That is a nice rug. I bet he said that later. Oh! Ah. <laughs> to his wife. It really... <laughs> It really ties the picture. Back then, they had those. Oh, yeah, he's got some hot daughters. That's for sure. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. This show is intended for information purposes only, but we're not experts. We're just two guys within the Bitcoin community. Bitcoin is an experiment in the separation of money and state. You'll be surprised how many will support that. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 66. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. I'm back. Host number three, Corey. Oh, D, you're back. I am back. 66 episodes. Holy damn. How many episodes are back in town? I was gone for three, I think. Editing in the background, like the Wizard of Oz. But not able to talk on the mic. I'm back. It feels good to be back on the mic. Man, I feel like uh I feel like Rabbit right before he hopped on the stage on the last scene of the eighth mile. You got me you lost me there for a second. You said rabbit and you came back around with eight mile and I understood. Yeah, because they called him Rabbit. He's like his real name's Clarence. Clarence had real nice parents. Anyways, I'm going off. I'm glad to be back. I feel really good about being Man, back. Man, those, those are the type of uh, top-notch jokes that we missed while you were gone, <laughs> D. Yeah. Bringing the thunder. Yeah, we missed that quite a bit. Um, how's so, um, how's everybody's relationship with their dad going on the Father's Day? Yeah. Mine's good. Uh, uh, it, it could be better if you use escrowmybits.com. What? Did you know that? Word? Tell me how. Uh, I'll tell you exactly how. Uh, it's fast, it's super easy, and it only takes three steps. Just and that's something that your dad's going to be like, whoa, son, it's really smart that you went with escrow. Uh, because all you do is register and deposit your Bitcoin, the seller ships the item, the buyer checks the goods, and then the funds get released. So it's super secure. Uh, your funds are kept in a secure two of three multi-signature transaction where they only hold one key and the rest are yours. Uh, we like the sponsor. We talk about them every episode because their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible, which I think they have uh, achieved. Uh, we want there to be no longer any excuses on why not to use escrow. So go to escrowmybits.com to start the escrow process. And uh, while you're there, why don't you just sign up for their newsletter so you can stay up to date. 
That's right. That's, that's what we recommend. Jingles? I'm not so, creating a jingle for something. I'm not supposed to be doing anything. So you're supposed to be doing what Jello really just did. Yeah. Everything else is based on what the hell we want to. Absolutely. Oh, shit. So, yeah, today, when you're hearing this, we're releasing Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. And, uh, yeah, go spend some Bitcoin. Give your father some Bitcoin. Because he deserves it. So, anyways, let's, let's get Reasoning into flawless. That's right. Let's let's get into some uh, some Bitcoin shit, man. Like, what's what's a lot's happened that I haven't been able to talk about, but the, the price is going bananas. I feel like China is just destroying the game right now, just buying all this Bitcoin left and right. Super duper well, bull market. There's been very little actual news, though. I think. You know, to the moon because the price rises, but that's not really all that interesting. Yeah, at some point you gotta ask which moon. I which mean, moon? I guess the moon's okay, like the moon, our moon, but that's not that far away in comparison to say the moons of like Saturn or Jupiter. Nope. So maybe we should start specifying which moon. Jupiter. Jupiter. I like that. Does anyone know the name of those yeah. moons, or do they have weird names like Nexus three one two and Titan? Titan, that's true. I'm gonna get distracted. Uh, Titan AE is one of the greatest movies of all time. Just throwing that out there. So the Dow. Yeah, we need to talk about the Dow, Corey. Yeah. Here, Corey. Here's a question: Did the <laughs> did the did the thief actually commit a crime if he removed the funds in accordance with the smart contract? Uh, I don't, I'm no lawyer, but the bug that was taken advantage of was known for over a week, probably. Uh, and he used this, I guess it's called the recursive split DAO attack, which essentially <laughs> allows you to pull out more ether than you have Fuck. allocated to your own account. So you just keep calling the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You keep pulling out money. Um, and then it creates a child DAO. So he's essentially split a shitload of the Ethereum, way more than his share, into a, a child DAO, which is now going through its own creation phase and then will will not be able to retrieve the funds until I think I forget how many days, but a good amount of days. So at the at the current state of things, a good very large portion of ether, I forget how much, maybe fifty probably around a current evaluation on fifty million US dollars worth of ether is put into a child DAO that can't be touched for Around 30 days or so. I don't know how much I forget. 27 but, days. 27 days. Mm-hmm. All jokes aside, that's a concrete number. 27 days. All right. So, what happens now? Um, there's a few, I guess, quote-unquote fixes that can happen. And what's important to note about these fixes that it may be implemented is that it's the Ethereum network that is changing its protocol possibly through a soft fork or a hard fork 
in order to fix a problem with the coding of the DAO. Now, there's a lot of philosophical debate on whether or not the underlying protocol should give a shit what an application on its platform is doing. But when it comes to this magnitude of Ether in circulation and the relative child state in which the Ethereum network is in, it might be worthwhile to fix the wrong and learn. But in any way, way, shape, or form, we're going to learn from this experience and it probably won't happen again in this particular way. But uh, in my opinion, the DAO is dead. There, there will be no DAO. And whatever fix happens will return some portion of people's initial amounts of Ethereum invested into the DAO to themselves after some time. But in the meantime, it's, it's, it's a pretty hard shake for the Ethereum network and its, and its price and confidence in the underlying protocol. Now, who's to blame? Is it Slocket for saying that there are no issues or problems with the Solidity code? Is it the auditors of the code who said there are no issues? Is it the Ethereum network and its programming language to, to say that it allows for these types of things to not be seen automatically because the contracts aren't self, like you can't prove the validity of a, of a contract without a human looking over it and saying it's true. It was Slocket's fault. That's my opinion. That's my opinion? question is, if you said, you said earlier when you started, you know, informing us about the DAO and what's going on with it, um, you said that they, that we knew about the bug for a week. Yeah. And nothing was done. They, they were in the process of fixing it. And that's what they've been. That's what the whole moratorium was actually in, in point for. Like there's no one is voting on proposals or looking at proposals, or submitting proposals because they want to try and fix the current issues with how the DAO works. One mm. of these problems, one of these problems with how the DAO works was this particular bug. And so someone took advantage of it. Well, no mm. shit. There's a lot of people out there who want to take advantage of something like this. It's a lot of money in a single place. And to think that there aren't people out there that are going to try and take advantage of this, it would just be ridiculous. Yeah. I would be surprised if this didn't happen. Man, this is kind of like what we were discussing at Starbucks earlier, Cello. Like uh, first-generation technology. When we were talking about the Red Ring of Death on the first Xbox 360s. Yeah. This is the first generation DAO, and it seems to be effing people. Uh, and Corey said something interesting, too. He said, I'm no lawyer, but a, a normal lawyer wouldn't even be able to handle this because there's no such thing as, as crypto lawyers. It's unprecedented legal territory right here. Like, they, people are going to have to take bar exams on, like, crypto and DAOs and Ethereums. So how do you, you know figure I mean? out who did this? Well, let's get crazy and say that the thief takes the Ethereum people to court over this, and a judge rules in his favor. In accordance with his ruling, he orders another hard fork to replace the funds in the thief's control. Would anybody in the U.S. running a node not supporting this be in violation, or would they try to go after the people, or could they? You, you can't. It's it's. It, ha- if the well, theft was legal, the, the soft fork is. Yeah, you're right. It's like what is legal. You're right. What is legal in this territory? They use something. They they gamed the system. 
it was viable for them to do this. It's, I guess you could call it illicit, but not necessarily illegal. It's well, it's not illegal to do a rollback to recover the funds. So if the theft was legal, wouldn't it, wouldn't the recovery be in violation of the Dow contract? Yes. It's kind of a catch 22. Like if you roll things back, then it's like, well, what, the hell's the point for having contracts right. in the rolling first place? Back, rolling back the way this is this is the main argument against rolling back the hard, which would be the hard fork would just be to roll things back and give everyone their money back. A soft fork is essentially saying uh, all miners will block any transaction that has to do with these funds, which essentially says the ether's gone. Get over it. Move forward. But it's not it's not really penalized. It's, it's not penalizing anyone, but it's not necessarily allowing the thief to use the funds in the same way. It's monopoly. So you have you have like this this mixture of the philosophical point of what the Ethereum platform stands for, and you have the consensus of its users mm-hmm. almost arguing against each other because everyone wants their money back and everyone wants this to be essentially wiped clean. But then, you, if you wipe it clean, you set a precedence for if someone fucks up on the Ethereum network. We're going to fix it. And that's not the case. That can't be what people should think when they create contracts. With, and, it, and, it, and this is something that uh, Dr. Goon Sarir talked about in his previous, the previous blog post about all this, is that we have a culture of programmers that don't think in terms of efficiency and security. They program things in a very quick and and unsecure way. And the focus isn't on fail-less. It's about getting something out the door that's cool. And until that culture changes, until the what he calls the science of smart contracts gets better, we're going to continue to have bugs like this, and there will always be people out there to try and take advantage of them. Mm. And Bitcoin went through the same pains, growing pains, if you will, uh, yeah, as this, and it's just it's just one of them. Unfortunately, so, it's like it's a shitload of the percentage of Ethereum in in current uh, circulation. circulation. Yeah, I saw a tweet today that was like, even Satoshi got one hard fork. Uh, <laughs> even Satoshi got a mulligan. Maybe Ethereum should just get a mulligan. But at the same time, like you said, that sets a precedent that there's there are mulligans. So. Man, I don't know. It kind of sucks. I had a little bit of ether invested in that DAO. I think it's gone now. But no, I don't think it's gone. I think you'll get a, at least a por- you'll at least get a portion of it back. Okay. Well, then for that, I want to take a a pair of clippers to Two All's beard. You may end up getting. I want a piece of his beard. It's, it's get him back in. There's just there's no real ethics at play here. That's all. It's just so young. It's it's man, this is brand new territory, man. It's like we're exploring Mars. What the hell? Shit's gonna happen. Adjust. Mistakes are made sometimes. It's just yeah. we gotta adjust. Goon Serrera, did, he, he blames it on Slocket. You know, one of my favorite people in this entire space is Balaji. Shout out to Balaji. Mr. Balaji, that is. Uh 21.co amazing guy obviously i've heard you speak and it's just like man he's like right up there with andreas if you guys are andreas fans you should also listen to his speeches but he said you know we got to extend the helping hand or if you're a bitcoiner solely extend the helping hand to the ethereum community uh and the network 
I guess just do what you can because, like, I guess B- Bitcoin did go through the same growing pains. And uh, I think it's going to have a few more growing pains. But well, uh, what's up? Let's look at this through, like, the eye of the casual observer who's not who's not into cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For those Bitcoin maximalists out there that said, "Yeah, fuck Ethereum, that's what they deserve," or like, "Good," then they'll then they'll fall away and it's back to Bitcoin. This is an overall blow to the entire cryptocurrency community. Mm-hmm. And how this gets played out, and how smoothly these things get resolved, will fundamentally come out as how the cryptocurrency community deals with its major issues. And we should try and fix this in the best way possible so that the outward projection of the state of cryptocurrency is better off. Mm-hmm. And so anybody saying game. anything negative towards this is is only causing more problem than, than anything else. It's not a zero-sum game. That's what Balaji actually said. He said it's not a zero-sum game. You know, it needs to be handled as a community. And uh, let the media... The media does a great job of reporting when bad things happen in crypto. Jeez, man. That's the first thing I woke up to and looked and I was like, what? The sky's falling again? Shit. Somebody stop Chicken Little from talking to these damn agencies because all they like to report is that the sky is falling. They never really report the good stuff. So, Nevertheless, a little bit of a sad and weird day uh, or occurrence. So also on top of this, that's what I've noticed. I've created a a channel in the Slack, in the Slack at Slack, or I guess the Dow Slack, uh, called Dow Data, which has kind of grown to about 35, 40 people or so. And it's become very clear that there are a large amount of people who want to get to the bottom of this and figure out the exact reason for all of this and fix it, as well as monitor all of the actions that are currently going on with the the C for C's associated with this. And mm-hmm. so it's 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 become very true and clear that if you do something like this, you will you essentially put yourself put yourself on a list to be monitored monitored heavily. Like from now on, every single one of those ethers will 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 know where they are. And the more they get used, the more you can associate a, a, a person with that. Mm-hmm. It's I'm I'm been quite actively involved in this, and there's going to be a lot more to show, like how the Ooh. the necessary things that happened before this was created, how it was created, and where those things went afterward after the after the effect. So you're on the Ethereum Justice League. I don't know if that's what we'll call ourselves. We're definitely uh, forensically looking at all this shit. What do you, what would you, you know, if you had to, I'm just saying hypothetically, if you had to be a superhero, like in a superhero team. Well, I'd be Dr. Manhattan for sure. Dude. Whoa. Those are big shoes to fill and that guy doesn't even wear shoes. You just told me to pick somebody and who the, who else would you pick? Apocalypse? Apocalypse. Well, that's a bad guy. Yeah, it depends on your your viewpoint. He's really oh. pretty agnostic. He doesn't really care. Oh, are you one of those people that's like, 
oh, the Sith are good guys too. They're just heavily outnumbered. It's clearly the Sith are the good guys, and the Jedi's are genociding the Sith. <laughs> Cole, you're agnostic. Uh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> what, <was that? laughs> what did you say that for? Is he running for office or something? <laughs> you're like, Ooh, well, Demetri, you're you. you're you're an atheist. I'm not an Those atheist. Those are two very different things. They are different things. If I, anything, I know. I'm more just, agnostic I than anything I else. I, I was Christian, but then I just can't get over the dinosaur thing and the fact that no super duper Christian even acknowledges that. I just find that pe- people that are scholars or very important, brilliant minds in science and math don't believe in God. And it's, it's not true. It's always fascinating. That's, it that's is super exactly. true. Super true, because you guys think that everything could be explained through rational thinking and problem solving. That is not what I believe. <laughs> I'm speaking true, for man. you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you put those words That's in what my Corey mouth. believes. <laughs> Don't you put those words in my mouth. I'll tell you what I believe. Wow, we're getting deep on our show now. Is that what happens after 60 episodes? We start talking about spirituality? <laughs> yeah, why not? I've been dealing with new formulations of quantum mechanics over the past couple of days. Let's, let's get deep. Yeah, let's get super deep. Uh, balls deep. Balls deep. If you have, if you, st- if we start doing the thing where we all record our own shows and just release them, and then we have this little network thing that Corey, you need to be, that needs to be your sign on. Like, here's third host of the Bitcoin podcast. This is my show. You know me, balls deep in the Dow. Balls <laughs> deep. Won't be the Dow because that shit's over. Yeah. No, I, I, I say there's, there's a push. There's a push for some people to say, make this work no matter what, because like try and push, make the Dow continue at all costs. And that's because things like the Dow are revolutionary and they need to go through their own growing pains as well. And so I mean, there may be a scenario where the Dow exists. It may have less funds. It may have all its funds. I don't know. I doubt it. But the next one will... There's just going to be another one that creates itself. Nice. It's just it'll have a much better smart contract code, and probably not nearly as many people jumping into it like, like hotcakes. Mm. Oh, to answer your question, Marcello, I believe in the multiverse. So, was that like the OnSpark? No, no, no. You keep what you kill. You it's can't like, just uh, say things. It's from Riddick. It's from the Chronicles of Riddick. You guys gotta get. You gotta get hip to this. The These movies, colors don't man. run, bro. <laughs> Freedom isn't free. Um. I, I, well, the multiverse is real. Anyways, let's not go deep into that. Uh. Oh, you know what that makes you? That makes you a, a necromonger. So I'm a necromonger. That's yeah, a cooler name. That's I'm cool. I'm way cool with being a necromonger. I'm way cool with that. They believe heavily in the philosophy that says you keep what you kill. So, Dimitric the Necromonger. That's right. If you, I could see that getting kind of racially insensitive if you saw that. <laughs> the Negromonger. The Negromonger. Negro. And sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Damn, that was bad. That was real bad. But I am, <laughs> I am black. Sorry, everyone. Black is one of the four elder races. It is one of the the four elder races. Is uh, I just watched a movie about elders recently. We should we should somehow transition to the interview. Yes, we should talk about uh the interview. So cello, 
Yeah. Um, this week, we didn't really have anyone that pertained to a particular hot topic. We just, honestly, we have a female status quo around here, and we fill it. Um, but Anne Connolly is super awesome. She's headed off to the Singularity University uh, this week for their Global Solutions Program, where she's going to be joining a cohort of innovators from around the world using technology to solve grand global challenges. So before she goes there, she came here to talk about some stuff with us. Um, she's the first millennial in notable history to be nominated for Bitcoin-related accomplishments. So mm. she's a big deal. And uh, she was gracious enough to talk to me and Corey. It's a good conversation. I really enjoyed it. Like she, she, her, her global viewpoint and understanding of uh, a lot of different cultures really gives her a good perspective on how this technology can be applied in a lot of different ways. Well, I hope you guys are friggin' excited because uh, here it is. Here it is. So glad I don't have to say that anymore. <laughs> you know you love saying that. I could feel it in your voice, actually. That was a super here it is. It's <laughs> way better than I am. <laughs> you're the you're the Bruce Buffer of Bitcoin podcasts. Yes. All right. So we just talked about <clears throat> how much you travel. I'm a person who doesn't really have the opportunity to travel much, so I definitely live vicariously through you tell us some of the amazing places you've visited and and i guess pertaining to bitcoin what you've observed from an economic standpoint and the areas that you think cryptocurrency could benefit the most yeah i mean i've traveled uh a fair number of places around the world probably about 45 countries um as it stands uh, i think one of the more the more interesting places i've traveled in terms of a you know bitcoin or crypto perspective is is certainly africa um, when you look at that population, uh, you know, it's uh, a group of people where they don't have a lot of infrastructure to begin with. So there's a lot of places where the government is not um, not well established or it's very corrupt or it's not trusted. The banking system's very similar, not pervasive around the country. And so the population has really, you know, figured out other ways to do that. And so with, you know, access to cell phones and that kind of thing, they've been using cell phone credit instead of cash as a means of financial transactions. And so when I look at them and, and their you know, existing access to cell phones and, and mobile systems and their lack of financial inclusion, um, I think it's just a, the perfect location for Bitcoin and other crypto. You know, that's, that's something that's, that's... Go ahead, Joe. I don't know. After you, after you. <laughs> I was going to say it's, it's similar that Africa is, is kind of on the radar like this is because they... Um, you're probably aware of this. They leapfrogged the infrastructure of of landlines and cell phones when they just went straight to cell phones. And yeah. the banking industry is going to be somewhat similar in that they're they're leapfrogging the traditional banking system and and have the most, I guess, possible benefit to to Bitcoin right now. Absolutely, and it's the same with a lot of other things with them as well. Like you'll see people living in you know mud huts with thatch roofs, and they've got solar panels on top. You know, so they're not sitting around waiting for the government to provide infrastructure for them. They're doing it themselves, which is, you know, the spirit of cryptocurrency at, at its core really is, is trying to, you know, operate and, and integrate with other people and uh, without the use of, of government. 
Wow. That, that amount of proactivity is pretty amazing on their part. <laughs> Absolutely. So the, the, out of the 45 countries you've been to, how much would you say is business and, and what would be pleasure? Oh, my. Um, I would probably say maybe 50-50, I guess. Um, more of the exotic places I've been have been for business. Um, I started off my career in the humanitarian sector, so did a uh, bit of work in Malawi and Central African Republic, as well as uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. So definitely some of the more exciting places were, uh, were for work. Uh, so, with I mean, speaking of work, you're you, you're recently coming up into the um, Singularity University's Global Solutions Program. Like one of the main topics there is a program to how to use technology and solve grand global challenges and, and pressing issues. What's 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 the biggest disconnect between those two topics? I think the thing what I've seen through both you know my career on the humanitarian side and then my career on on the technology side in Bitcoin and blockchain is that. Um, you know, the humanitarians are always trying to solve things, but not always with the latest and greatest tools. So it's often sort of chipping away at problems and helping one person here and one person there. And on the technology side, um, it's really, you know, people using really interesting things to solve problems, but not necessarily solving some of the biggest problems that exist out there in the world. And so that's where Singularity is really bringing those two things together. It's, it's using these incredible exponential technology to solve the world's biggest problems and solving them, you know, in ways where we're going to wipe them out in the next, you know, five, 10 years. This is none of this sort of incremental chipping away at problems in the same way that the humanitarian sector often works. So that's what I found was so, uh, so attractive uh, for me and just gave me the opportunity to, uh, you know, use all of my Bitcoin and blockchain knowledge and apply it to uh, a passion of mine, which is global health. You know, it's, it's so, it's it's interesting that it's not only the Bitcoin passion you have, but the glo the, the global aspect you you tend to have goes a long way, and it's something a lot of people don't really think. Um, I guess don't have the experience to think in the same ways that you can with all the global experiences you've probably had. Yeah, and it's one thing I think people really underestimate a lot of the challenges that exist when you're implementing technology and and other programs in these types of settings. You know, say in uh, Africa or other developing regions. And that's just things like, you know, you can't ship products or you can't uh, get things through the roads as easily as you can in other places. So something, you know, that may normally take a day to get to a location will take three weeks or three months. Um, and so a lot of the implementation takes a lot longer or you have to really think outside of the box on on how to do it. You know, I can remember um, we had to take a shipment of paper for the office when I was working in Central Africa. And part of our route to get back to the small town where we were working included a river. Um, and we'd normally take a barge over, but the barge was broken. We had to take a canoe. But when you put paper in the bottom of the canoe, it would get soaked. And so you had to really think, okay, how are we going to do this? We have nothing but a canoe and paper. So we ended up putting people in the bottom of the canoe and the paper on top so that oh, it wouldn't get wet. <laughs> So it's really, it's, you know, these little things that you just don't have to deal with when you're working in North America or Europe. It's a whole other level of, of challenge. And so I think often people um, will also think, you know, I'm going to, you know, bring technology to these locations and it's going to save everyone. Um, I can remember listening to one podcast about a gentleman whose name I can't recall, but he wanted to go to Kenya with Bitcoin and bring some iPads and give, you know, the, the iPads to these teachers at the school and he was so excited he was going to do a whole piece about it and when he got there he realized like 
you know, they don't, they don't have electricity. And under the, the conditions that they live and work in, in the school, like it's dirty and the iPads break and there's nowhere to fix them. And the cost of an iPad was more than the cost of the annual salary of a teacher. So if they were really being smart about this, they're not going to sit there and hold wow. the iPad. They're going to sell it and they're going to have, you know, two classrooms instead of one. And so it's a bit of, you know, uh, trying to understand the context with which you're implementing the technology is so important and so overlooked. <laughs> Jeez. So, Corey, do you experience any of that in, in Brazil? Like just this crazy disconnect in that kind of sense? You know, uh, it's not it's not to that extreme. I've been relatively lucky in that the city I live in is one of the nicer cities of Brazil, so I haven't experienced personally the massive lack of infrastructure, although I will say it's been quite a disconnect from living in North America my whole life. A lot of the things that mm -hmm. I've taken for granted uh, my whole life as what I consider to be normal weren't aren't, aren't normal here. And it's allowed me to kind of view the world through a different lens. And it's, it's very interesting to, to have that experience and it makes me want to do it more. Yeah. I'm so sheltered. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, and the main goal here is to build exponential like technology solutions and, and brainstorm. But since, since, you know, blockchain, Bitcoin, it's still considered in its infancy. Is is the is the general idea surrounding crypto still generally small, or are you one of the few that's like attending Singularity University's Global Solutions Program that is knowledgeable in this space, or is it a pretty large crowd? From what I've seen, I'm the only one at this stage who's you know actively working in it. Um, I'll have to meet everyone and see you know who who owns crypto and see if I can get more of them on board by the end of it. Um, but, uh, you know, all the people attending the program are just really big thinkers. You know, uh, they're involved in space technology or, uh, you know, healthcare around the world, that kind of thing. And so they're, they're people who really think outside the box in terms of how to solve problems wherever they are. So I know that once they learn about blockchain and Bitcoin, if they don't know about it already, they're going to be 100% on board. It's so... I guess shifting shifting topics a little bit. I, I was, <clears throat> I know this is a little bit earlier in your career, but I was curious to know about in, in uh, 2016 what progress was being made in acquiring uh, Bitcoin donors and decentralizing decentralizing HIV treatment. Do you believe uh, that there is such a thing as an AIDS-free generation and, and that these these type of problems? Do you think these types of problems can be solved? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, in my former former career in the humanitarian sector, I worked for a great organization called Dignitas International, and their whole mantra was to go out and, and stop HIV. And they were doing that by decentralizing care for people with HIV throughout, uh, throughout Malawi and, and some other places around the world as well. Um, and when I worked there, I, I you know, was at that time very newly passionate about Bitcoin and wanted to see how I could implement it, you know, for the organization and I set up a Bitcoin donation program, although I have to say the timing was maybe not ideal as it was just, uh, I think I set it up very close to when it, it took a deep dive after it was about 1100 US or whatever it was. So people were really holding on to their money, <laughs> hoping it would rise again. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, one of one of the things that I love about crypto is that it really globalizes everything, you know. So if you're trying to make a donation and, you know, you want a tax receipt in one country, you're living in another, or, you know, say you're just somewhere else and it's a lot easier to just send cryptocurrency. I mean, that's, that's fantastic for everyone involved or, you know, organizations that 
um, work internationally are always sending funds overseas, which as we know is very expensive and often in some cases uh, very dangerous. I worked for uh, Doctors Without Borders, which is another international aid organization, and um, they pay you know many of their staff in cash because it's they work in places where it's so rural it's a cash economy and so you know there's a lot of cash that's going through insecure locations on the backs of people you know and it, it's very dangerous when you know they could be paying their staff through crypto say through bitpesa or or whatever other means there were um you know the security incidents would drop and there'd be fewer you know kidnappings and that kind of thing so it's um there's a, mm -hmm. a lot of benefits both you know not only from the fundraising side but from the actual you know operational side as well you know like it's 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 one thing if this takes off and just becomes a decentralized money that's going to be amazing and good enough but bitcoin and 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 what bitcoin stands for is much more than money and governance and even sharing healthcare without borders it can go much 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 further do you have problems with people not quite understanding that and that the the potential for this type of technology goes well beyond money yeah i think one of the issues at this stage of crypto is that there aren't enough examples outside of you know bitcoin and finance or you know i should say blockchain as opposed to crypto that there aren't enough examples of really tangible things that an ordinary person can understand um and that's why you know i love companies like socket or you know other ones out there that are doing uh really neat products that you could see the average user using and so they can really appreciate okay this is not just about sending money it's so much more than that you know or you give people examples of well, okay, so this guy was opening a Bitcoin-based company and the bank shut off his accounts. Well, what's he going to do now for money? Like, like that could happen to you as well. And so if you're able to store some of your money in crypto, then, you know, you are, um, you're protected from that. Or, you know, one example I like to use a lot is, you know, in Canada, where I'm from, people can't really relate to it as much because, you know, we do live in a fairly secure, safe, stable environment. But if you're living in a country like Zimbabwe, where the inflation rate was something to the effect of, you know, 131 million percent, um, you know, your money is worthless. People at that point in time were carrying wheelbarrows full of cash to the market to buy a loaf of bread. Um, and so for people in those countries, having a, a currency that's not, you know, managed by a government that's extremely corrupt or is, you know, just driving up the inflation rates has a lot of value. Um, and so I think that's, you know, when I explain it to people, I try to get them to really extrapolate from their own worldview and think about other places in the world where, you know, they don't have the luxury of maybe having a relatively stable government or, you know, a government that they can trust to a certain extent anyway. Um, and then, then they, they start to see where it has a lot more value than, uh, you know, a, a government-backed currency. So on the flip side, how can blockchains break out of their initial role with cryptocurrencies and become the foundation for a deeper supply chain business networks, not just individuals, but more like for companies? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's already happening. Um, just the, the change in interest that I've seen. Um, I work now with a, a blockchain consulting company called uh, Ledger Labs out of Toronto. And uh, we've just seen a huge shift in terms of the perception of blockchain and the media and the companies that are, you know, all of a sudden saying, okay, we don't know what this is, but we really want to know. And we're really keen to find out more about how it's going to impact our business. And so I think we're already on that train. Um, blockchain's gotten a ton of good publicity recently. Uh, people are learning more and more about it. 
I think it's now just going to be a matter of figuring out, okay, what's the best method to move forward with? You know, is it private blockchains? Is it, you know, uh, blockchain, like the Bitcoin blockchain base is going to be Ethereum based? Um, and just figuring out what the backend system is going to look like for people so that there's a bit more of a concrete um, view for, for people trying to create um, applications on the blockchain, you know, so they can say, you know, a lot of what we say to companies is, very hypothetical, but you know, well, we could do this, we could do that. There's so many options available, and a lot of these options would be basically custom built because we're at that stage where, um, you know, not a lot has actually been built out for on the enterprise side. And so, um, I think part of it's just going to be starting kicking it all off, you know, creating applications on Ethereum that help enterprises and, and can handle the scale uh, of an enterprise system with, you know, the proper user interface that they need and all of the, you know, security and and comfort that they need to ensure that their business is still going to happen just as fast or faster and just as safely as it did before. You know, you bring up a, a, a pretty good point in that uh, I think last, probably about last year, a while ago, I think Bitcoin was trying to go through this almost like a, a terrible phase of marketing. It was blown up. No one knew what it was and no one knew how to explain it because it's such a new technology. And we come up with all these kind of somewhat useful analogies that only explain it in a certain domain. Given your experience as a marketing director, do you feel we've we've gotten past this problem? We are getting past this problem? I mean, how do how do you make how do you get past these pitfalls when it comes to appealing to the masses? We're we're not there yet. We're getting closer. I have to say, the first time I showed up to a Bitcoin meetup and was you know learning about Bitcoin, I really felt it was tech guys talking to tech guys about Bitcoin, which yeah. you know is fine. But <laughs> it still is sometimes. You, it still is sometimes. So then you started to get tech guys talking to regular people, and the thing that tech people appreciate is you know it's the back end, it's the system. People started talking about hash rates and rainbow tables and all this kind of thing, and I can remember standing there. I'm like okay, that's great, but like, how is this going to change my life? How is my life going to be better because of Bitcoin? And so that's the angle that I always take when I'm explaining it to others as I say, okay, this is how, you know, you're going to send money to your friend overseas. It's going to change. It's going to be instant. And I'll show them. I'll, I'll, you know, get them to download a wallet. I'll send them money right there at the bar. Um, and usually they're very skeptical. They've all heard a little bit about Silk Road. They've heard about, you know, Mt. Gox. Um, but when they see the money transfer right before their eyes, it's like something clicks. And, you know, all of a sudden they're saying, oh, well, like, you know, you could use this to pay your supplier in China. And you're like, yeah, you know, and you could use this to do all these kinds of things. And, and all of a sudden they get it. And so I think really when we're talking about Bitcoin, we need to take it, you know, when, you, when you're talking to the ordinary person anyway, you need to take it out of the realm of the technology and into the realm of everyday life and how is this going to change for you what does it mean for you know your friends and family what does it mean for your business and and really make it very tangible for them and i think we're we're getting there but we're not quite there <laughs> yeah we're definitely getting more time more i guess um i wouldn't I, I would say use cases but i'm tired of saying that we're letting people start to understand what they can do now that they weren't able to do in the past and why like that's what gets people excited. It's like, oh, I can do that now, and it doesn't cost me any money, or it costs me less money to do the exact same thing, but better. And when you're able to give them concrete examples of how their life changes 
or and becomes easier or they make more money, then they get excited. They don't care about the protocols that underlie why they can do these things, only that they can do these things. Exactly. And, uh, you know, some of them, I think, had been poorly explained the, the mining process and how new Bitcoin comes into place and, and just gotten horribly confused. And they're like, I don't get it. I don't trust it. And I said, how does your credit card system work? Where does the money go? Who holds it? Who moves it? And they don't know. And the reality is it right. doesn't really matter to them. As long as they can have a reasonable assurance that, um, you know, their money is safe and it's going to get where it needs to go, then, then that's okay. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things Bitcoin's going to need to deal with, or, you know, the industry is going to need to deal with is that in a lot of cases with this sort of thing, there's no help desk, you know? Um, and so if you get people who don't, fully know what they're doing, don't know that they can look up transactions, don't know that type of thing, there isn't really a good place for them to go and get that information in one spot. And I think that'll come to the forefront, whether it's through, you know, different wikis or just some big page about how to use it or what, what have you. But um, I think that's, that's going to help a lot. And just really trying to create more user-friendly uh, interfaces for ordinary people. I think that's really lacking right now, especially... You know, it's, it's, we've gotten there a little more on the Bitcoin side. On the Ethereum side, I think we need that um, quite a bit more. Um, you know, with Mist and that sort of thing, it's still still a bit of a clumsy yeah. tool, I think, for, <laughs> uh, for for ordinary people. And so I think once once we get there, uh, just really you know, looking at the UX UI of everything that, that's, um, that's out there and, and thinking of not the lowest common denom denominator of user, but... Uh, you know, an average average user and how to make it just really easy for them to use. And, and then we'll, we'll really be uh, hitting it out of the park. Yeah, so, I mean, you bring up so many good points. Let, let's talk a bit about how modern banking works. So commercial banks, they, they do not loan deposits, as far as I can understand. They create new credit out of collateral, but... This newly created credit must come back as deposits because the amount of outstanding credit is like a multiple of the available currency in circulation. Um, otherwise they go bust. So banks, they need incentives for the public for depositing money. You need that constant currency devaluation. You need that security. You need that utility. But with Bitcoin, there's no big incentive for depositing coins into a bank. Uh, modern banking simply won't work with Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin becomes the backbone of the economy in, in a perfect world, how do you see this working? That I don't know. I think that's above my pay grade. I think, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll have to see. You know, I mean, the reality is with all this crypto is that we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know all of the different financial elements that could be built on top of it. I think we're just not there yet. Um, and I think we'll find ways to, you know, have different investments. We've got, the DAO that's happening now, which is a you know, really interesting experiment. We'll see how that plays out. Um, and so I think it's just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. All these bankers are, they're not going to sit there unemployed. I guarantee it. They're going to, they're going to learn about crypto and they're going to find a way to, you know, monetize it in the same, same way that they did with other financial instruments for, for investments back at the bank. So I think, uh, I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it will be there. Yeah. You know, it's either going to, it's going to go in, I hate to be the, you know, the false dichotomy type of person, but it's either going to go in two directions. It's going to get rid of the banking, traditional banking infrastructure entirely or exacerbate it to a whole new level of complexity. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's going to be the latter. It's, 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 it allows for so much more complexity to be built in and obfuscating what's going on to the general public that if you, at some point, if you ask how something works, no one's really going to know. I mean, you are, it's already difficult, but um, it's going to be an interesting and curious road to see how things uh, continue from here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just because, you know, just because the blockchain and, and other crypto is, is very, uh, how would I say it? You know, it itself, it runs itself in a way, um, very independent, very government free, that kind of thing. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be a need for greater knowledge and people who have, you know, the expertise that they can lend to the average person. You know, a lot of the services of the bank is just helping people make investments that they would have no idea how to make. Um, and so I, I think just because, you know, people can buy Bitcoin and do it all themselves doesn't mean they're going to want to. They still, you know, are going to look to with people to people with, you know, a higher level of expertise to do a lot of this stuff for them. So um, I think we're going to see a lot more uh, of that type of knowledge coming through of helping people to invest their their money in different types of crypto or whatever it is. So I think I think we're going to see a lot of the, the facets of the traditional banking system slowly roll over into crypto and just adapt to the new system and how it works and um, just figure out a way to, to create more more jobs and more more levels within um, the employment sector within the blockchain space. Definitely. So we have we have one more question for you. It's a short question, but somewhat difficult. Uh, in 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? <laughs> Bitcoin is the currency that travels on an internet of value. I like that. Oh, that might be my new favorite answer. I like that. Yeah, I like to I like to really describe like the blockchain as the internet of value. Yeah, we have the internet of information. People send information all over the world all the time. This is, you know, the internet of value and Bitcoin is the main token. As it currently stands, that is definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and well, uh, we thank you for coming on the Bitcoin podcast and, and talking about how the future of the world is going to look. Yeah, thanks for having me. And if it's any of your listeners uh, need any support with their blockchain projects, they can head over to ledgerlabs.com and our team would be happy to help them. Yeah, we'll, we'll send them your way. We'll put a link in the show Absolutely. notes. Anything else you'd like to plug while you're here? Anything you want to say? Shout outs? If you want to make any Bitcoin donations, you can also go to dignitasinternational.org. They are accepting Bitcoin for their work in Africa with uh, patients with HIV. All right, great. Wonderful. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you, Anne. Take care. Thank you. And that was the interview with one Anne Connolly. Very remarkable individual in the Bitcoin space, which tends to be the trend in this damn space. Everyone is good at what they do. And when they are, we see it and we bring them on and we talk to them. They let us know. Did you? I hope you guys enjoyed it. Did you too enjoy doing the interview? Uh, yeah. And I would encourage everybody that wants to hear more of her to go to singularityu.org slash gsp16 and buy some tickets to see her in person and hear her talk nice i think i think her her opinion and expertise is valuable in this space just because she i said it before the interview she has an understanding of 
she has a worldly understanding that a lot of people don't have because they're stuck in a bubble of where they currently currently exist. And her traveling and talking to people and all the work that she's done gives her a much broader perspective on what's important. And I think the things that she finds important are ultimately what is uh, at the forefront of what we should be pushing for. She's got yeah. a nice hair too. Oh, so silky. Some silky ass hair, man. Well, one thing I would like to discuss, which happened in my absence, and I'm so sad I couldn't be a part of, was this great debate whether Bloodsport is better than Time Cop or vice versa. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's been settled by the internet. Huh? Not really a debate. It isn't. I'm just curious how it turned into a thing. Bloodsport's the, the clear winner there. Um, no, it's not the clear winner. Yes, it is. We took the poll, and it won. There are no, uh, there's nobody else but you that thinks this. Thinks what? That no, I ran a poll, and I only lost by one vote. It was rigged. Wait a second. Wait, who, who, who sent? Which? How many look, votes did you have? There were thirteen votes. Oh, it's better than three. Seven over six. Bloodsport over Dime Cop. Listen, everyone in Van Damme's future owns a Batmobile, which is an entirely different, impossible technology separate from time travel. It's amazing. What? What? Hmm? What is Van Damme drives a miracle machine to a voice-activated apartment. Okay? Yeah. And let's continue you... on as to how okay. this is... You may recognize as yet another technology we were by no means 10 years away from conquering in 1994. <laughs> I'm not saying there aren't legitimate prophecies. We've got to stop this. I'm cop. I'm saying the better movie is Bloodsport. That's it. It's just, I mean, you can, you can learn a lot from something that's inferior. And you do with Time Cop. But it's clear. Okay, we've got to stop. I didn't Listen, mean to even bring on, it up. I'm Corey, sorry. The 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 Kumite is is entertaining, but in the first scene of Time Cop, you see a henchman blast a detachment of Confederate soldiers with a pair of machine guns to take their supply of racist gold. True or not true? That's true, and that's cool. But it's so. Why in all of history would you go to the Civil War era Georgia to pull off your time heist? Why not? You can't walk into a bank and hand them a stack of gold bars. It's gold like it's accepted everywhere, and we've learned that here on the Bitcoin podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you can give someone gold. Damn it! About this. Anyway, we've got to stop. I'm sorry that I even brought it up. It just, to, I thought it was there's there's something that I read in the interim of this podcast interview that I'd like to address, and it's someone's opinion. Uh, on hard forks that I guess I haven't really considered too strongly, but it's 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 quite true. It's a on the R Ethereum right now. It currently has seventy eight upvotes from uh, a clearly a brand new username called Democratic Hard Fork. It says remember hard forks are democratic, not imposed. I wonder where he came up with the name. Bitcoin has gone through one, and it is actually a quite clean answer to our situation, but. Now, that is just a, a title. What he goes, Tinder goes through is that you can impose a hard fork and it's only the community's decision to follow that fork. So if you do a hard fork, you have an option. You can stay on the current state of Ethereum 
or you can follow the hard fork. And if the community decides to follow the hard fork, then that's what the community wants. And ultimately, we've built a network in which the consensus is based on what the community desires. But right now, there's no consensus. And if, well, there's, the consensus is fix this. And nobody, except for the, you know, few people involved with this hack, want the current state of things to continue along along this, right? But if you essentially undo this, you're undoing a lot of potential damage to a very, very delicate network. That's an incidency. If you ruin this, you could possibly ruin the network. Mm-hmm. Or you at least set it back a tremendous amount of time. And a hard fork is a, is, is a quick, somewhat elegant, clean fix to this situation. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, although it does set a precedent, it's one we're going to follow into the future. It's a very expensive lesson, at the very least. For you. I have an answer to our problems. There's yes. a Blu-ray of uh, action double feature with Bloodsport and Time Cop on the Blu-ray. I'm going to send it to you. <laughs> you can to me before I leave. <laughs> you just and sent I, it to me. You just, well, you just, damn it. I don't even, who, I don't even watch Blu-ray. I don't have a Blu-ray player. Oh. Well, it's a double feature. <laughs> it's, well, they're, it's, at least we're arguing against the two most influential movies. We got to tweet this out. Anyways, look. I feel like when you're in crypto and you've you've bought into it and and you're invested in more more just financially, more than just financially, but also like emotionally and time and work and research and reading and talking to all the people in the space and, and doing all the things. But to be in this space, you have to have like platinum nuts, titanium nuts, I feel like, to hold through all of this and to still support through all of these hiccups. It takes some nuts, man. We're here because we care. We're here because we see the potential in the technology and we want it to, to exist because it's it's clearly a better technology. But based on the way it works and how much is generalized the way we do things and the possibilities that we aren't currently aware of and how much it takes in computing security into the heart of it. it there's a lot we don't know and there's a lot of pain points we're going to have to go through in order to mm-hmm. become, become the technology we want it to be. And this is one of those things. This is shit we have to go through. Mm-hmm. So at our it's podcast... ultimately good. At our podcast, when we say adoption is the only thing that matters, it's definitely a hiccup in the road of that adoption when it comes to alternate uh, currencies, uh, alternate uh, blockchains. Uh, uh, this, is, this is okay. Say we see a future where cryptocurrency is king, and we have decentralized autonomous organizations and so on and so forth. What do you think is going to happen in the process of getting there? People are going to make yeah. first iterations of these things. And we're going to try it out, and it's going to fail. Yeah. As with any type of scientific experiment, <laughs> most things you try end up failing because everyone is trying to tell you that you're going to fail or figure out why you're wrong. 
Sorry, I'm laughing. I'm laughing, imagining the first guy who ma- who made the very first car. It was just like a metal box on wheels, and everyone was like, you're an idiot, man. God, just, fuck, it didn't work. Just get on a horse. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so, uh, we need the community to help support making this go smoothly and not say stupid shit. I can't even say it better than that. Don't say stupid shit. Yeah, man. Just keep it simple. There's no need in going deep. There's no need in using too many words. Don't say stupid shit on the internet. Do some research first. <laughs> Fix the internet. Done it. Done. Cool. Yep. You heard it from here. You can quote me. Don't say stupid shit on the internet. And this is going to be okay. You go around saying stupid shit on the internet, we're going to have some problems. All right? That's a big problem. Um, so what what else is going on in, in Bitcoin land that we could talk about other than this ridiculous bullish market and which goes without talking about really. I mean, you could just, anybody who's in Bitcoin or has recently gotten into Bitcoin could just look. So definitely I got, I got, I got nothing. I've been balls deep in this and I've done a lot of, I've been writing like the beginnings of a lot of blogs about this and mm-hmm. because this happened. I may not finish any of them because I need to I've been called to action on a few things that I need to check out. So most of my attention has been on this situation, its effects. And outside of that I have a full time job of computational science. So that Dude, takes you've been sciencing so hard, you say. Yeah, my head hurts a lot. I'm just gonna rattle off some questions. And you could just rattle off some answers real quick. When I'm dreaming and I'm kind of not dreaming at the same time, lucid dreaming, am I existing in two different universes at the same time? How the hell would I know that? Because you're a scientist. Yeah, it's like it's like people I tell someone I'm a doctor and they ask me if their rash looks bad. I'm not that not that kind of doctor. You're not that kind of doctor. I'm not that kind of doctor. Okay. Now, I guess from my own opinion, no. All right. All right. What else can I... uh, What would happen if the largest star and the largest black hole touched? Star gets sucked in the black hole. Okay. That was an easy one. I kind of already knew that one. I was just testing you. Um, Pluto, planet or not? Not. (laughs) It's clearly not. Clearly not. However... Not that much, though, because it kind of is a planet. No, it's not. Okay. All right. Ophelia has spoken. Ophelia has spoken. It must be time for Marcello to learn how to use the mute button. Oh, I thought the mic. I thought it was muted. My bad. <laughs> Jeez, man. <laughs> You've got to mute that mic. Did you hear my hamburger helper choice decision, too? Yeah, no, we didn't hear that. We can hear that. Mute we got Mike. Okay, it's time. Right Sorry, there. everyone who listens, but it's officially time. Life has interjected, and we've got to stop the podcast. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, let's do some plugs. Hey, I haven't done these in a while. We're back with a midweek episode of uh, Tour. Tour. <laughs> he muted himself too quick. It was like on Halo <sighs> 2 when you died. Tour, the meester. <laughs> uh, tour, the meester. Coming midweek. 
uh amazing amazing bitcoin individual uh he gives i think financial advice uh he has a financial research uh, i guess firm you could say business adamant research and all they do is research crypto related economic economy stuff that's a good one. one yes it was a great interview uh Nailed you're it. If you're a fan of Tour de Mister already, you're gonna like it. You know how we do at the Bitcoin podcast. We get people on the show and they just chill. Like we're yeah, I enjoyed talking to him. That went way more fun than I expected to. Yeah. I thought his like economics education, finance education was just gonna make me feel stupid, but Oh, I was just I in a bad mood when we started that interview and then it ended up being really, really fun and entertaining. What happened? Did you like stub your toe? No, I was just tired. Fuck uh, tired all the time. Man, isn't that the truth? I wish I had like a five hour energy that didn't kill you kind of I mean, it takes off some years to your life but that's way far away you'll be like infinite infinite life by the time you get that old it's fine i don't think that makes sense i don't trust your science anymore <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's plug our show uh see the bitcoinpodcast.com you know it you love it probably because you guys are listening we see the numbers and we're like wow there's people listening it's cool uh keep listening and tell your friends and your family uh the newsletter if you subscribe to that if you go to the website and subscribe to the newsletter then you'll know when we release new episodes and for those of you who've been here for a while you'll notice that we are releasing them a little more frequently now so you know constant stream of uh bitcoin uh newsish discussion entertainmentish learning environment whatever you call it twitter at the btc podcast uh you guys know marcello runs a twitter uh he does a good job of running a twitter tweet us we'll tweet you um let's see what else do I, the f- I am uh in the current process of finishing up two blogs one of them if you have no idea what has been happening with Ethereum and the DAO, I will be summarizing a good portion of it, giving you a lot of links on where it came from, why it happened, what's going on afterwards, and how I feel about it. And the other one is is a philosophical view of cryptocurrency and how some of our ideas on how it's supposed to work are crippling us from innovation. So get ready for that shit. Hell yeah. Can I be your hype man? That'd be hot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get ready for that hot Corey Petty blog coming at you about crypto and the Dow, bringing it at you. Go look out for it on the Bitcoin podcast blog on Medium. It's how he does that shit, lays it down, learn, drop it knowledge. Did I turn into Kevin Hart a little bit right there? I'm cool with it. All right, cool. Um, nevertheless, uh, well, play these. Nope, not going to say it yet. Give us five stars on iTunes, man. Fucking go on there and give us a review because you love this shit. I know you do. Anyways, uh, play. Thank you.
Thank you.